sisters and brothers, and welcome to another episode of the Francisca Day podcast. Uh, tonight's episode is part two of five on the examine prayer. As uh, recalled in part one, we talked about the necessity of calling down the Holy Spirit to guide us in this examine prayer, this this excellent practice of reviewing our life, whether it's a daily, weekly, or a monthly practice. So part two is to give thanks for the day. And if you're doing the examine on a weekly or monthly basis, then you're giving thanks for the week or the month, uh, however you fit this into your prayer routine. Blessed Solanus Casey taught us all to thank God ahead of time. And he also said to get rid of needless worry and anxiety and put your trust in the merciful providence of God. And, you know, part of the examine when we're being uh, thankful for our day is really looking out for where was God's providence acting in our life. And as Solanus Casey said, thank God. And this goes right along with the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, where Jesus teaches that God provides for the birds of the air, the flowers of the field. How much more will he care for us? And he tells us not to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Part of being thankful to God is also asking him to increase in us our faith and trust in his providence. In the examine, we have an opportunity to look back on our day, week, or month and pay attention to how God has in his providence provided for us. This daily or weekly habit of giving thanks will have the effect of reducing the anxiety and worries of life as you begin to focus on and see the blessings God is bestowing on you. Now, I have to admit, for me, it's much easier to see these blessings in hindsight than in the moment, and that's probably true for many of you, sisters and brothers. And you know, there's a lot of scriptural support for this Thanksgiving. You know, God knows what is good for us. The fact that Thanksgiving is a predominant motif in Scripture must mean that we should pay close attention to it. So depending on your definition of thanks, which has several synonyms, such as gratitude, blessing, acknowledgement, grace, honor, eucharistia, and their derivatives, there are several hundred mentions of giving thanks in the Scriptures. In fact, 11% of the Psalms have Thanksgiving as a theme. And so that makes me wonder, am I spending 11% of my time giving thanks to God? So let me quote just a sampling of these Thanksgiving Psalms and these Psalms of thanks. So Psalm 7, we hear, I will thank the Lord for his justice. I will sing to the Lord most high. And Psalm 28, blessed be the Lord for he has heard my cry my appeal. In him my heart trusts. I was helped. My heart rejoices, and I praise him with song. And here in this psalm, the blessed blessed be the Lord is a way to express thanks to the Lord for what he has done for you. Psalm 30, sing psalms to the Lord, you who love him. Give thanks to his holy name. The Lord listened and had pity. The Lord came to my help, for he for me, you have changed my mourning into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. So my soul sings psalms to you unceasingly. O Lord, my God, I will thank you forever. Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise always on my lips. 
I sought the Lord, and he answered me. Psalm 50, pay your sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. A sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. Psalm 69, I will praise God's name with a song. I will glorify him with thanksgiving, a gift pleasing to God more than oxen. I really like that. Our thanksgiving sacrifice and thanking God is more pleasing to God. And this is, remember, this is the Old Testament psalm. And the psalmist is saying, it's more pleasing to God than oxen. And remember, in the Jewish religion, they were sacrificing these animals. Oxen were sacrificed to, to the Lord. And yet the psalmist says, thanksgiving is more pleasing to God than oxen. Psalm 95, come, let us sing to the Lord and shout with joy to the rock who saves us. Let us approach him with praise and thanksgiving and sing joyful songs to the Lord. Psalm 103 is a great hymn of uh, praise and thanksgiving for forgiveness. And the psalmist says, my soul, give thanks to the Lord. All my being, bless his holy name. My soul should give thanks to the Lord and should never forget all his blessings. It is he who forgives all your guilt. He who heals every one of your ills. The Lord is compassion and love. He does not treat us according to our sins. Give thanks to the Lord, all his hosts, his servants who do his will. Give thanks to the Lord, all his works, in every place where he rules. My soul, give thanks to the Lord. I mean, this psalm is just dripping with thanksgiving. Psalm 145, the psalmist says, All your creatures shall thank you, O Lord. And Psalm 118 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And then it goes through all these examples of the goodness of the Lord with, with this verse in it, interspersed. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And it praises some attribute of God. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And also we, we read Thanksgiving in Psalms 100, 107, 116, 136, 111, 92, 89. And I'm sure this is not an all comprehensive list. You know, it's interesting uh, how central is Thanksgiving in the prayer, in the liturgy of the church? In the liturgy of the hours, Sunday morning prayers of week one and week three of the four-week cycle of Psalms have from the Old Testament the canticle of praise and thanks that was sung by the three young men who were thrown into the furnace. And this can be found in the book of Daniel, chapter 3, verses 57 through 88. And here we see them expressing thanks to God for all of his creatures, his angels, the heavens, the heavenly hosts, the sun and the moon, the stars, showers and dew, winds, fire and heat, cold and chill, frost and chill, ice and snow. Wait a minute, ice and snow? These three young men were in a furnace in Babylon. Uh, that's not exactly a winter wonderland. So I always read this ice and snow. I said, well, the psalmist had some knowledge of ice and snow. And it dawned on me when I took a trip to the Holy Land, and we were looking, uh, we were at the Israel-Syrian border, and you could see Mount Hermon in the distance, and Mount Hermon was covered with snow, it had snow peak caps. And then when you look at, uh, if you look at images of the country of Lebanon, which is very prominent in the scriptures and the life of Jesus, and uh, certainly in the Old Testament, there are many, many snow-covered peaks in Lebanon. So we often think of the Mideast as a dry, arid desert. 
So yes, our psalmist had an experience of ice and snow if he's ever been to the areas of Syria or Lebanon. So again, this thanksgiving for God and his creation and all his creatures. So in the New Testament, we also find some great examples of giving thanks to God. For instance, at the birth of John the Baptist, his father, Zechariah, we have the Canticle of Zechariah, which is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 68 through 79. And in that, he acknowledges the good God has done for him and the good that God has done for Israel. He says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come to his people and set them free. He has raised up for us a mighty savior. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness in the shadow of death. And again, Zechariah uses this blessed be the Lord, which is a, a means, a phrasing of thanks. And he lists those things he's thankful for, just as we will do in the examine when we are looking at giving God thanks for our day or our week or a month. Also in Luke, we have the Canticle of Mary in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And here, Mary is acknowledging the good that God has done for her and for Israel. She says, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And then she starts recounting the things that God has done for her. The Almighty has done great things for me. He has mercy on those who fear him. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has come to the help of his servant Israel. He has remembered his promise of mercy. Here we see the Blessed Mother, Mary, is going through this list of the great things that God has done for her. These are the things that she is grateful for, that she is blessing God for, that she is thankful for. We have in, also in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 17, starting in verse 11, we have the story of the 10 lepers who are cleansed. And what's interesting is only one of the 10 comes back to Jesus after he is healed to give thanks to Jesus. So what about the other nine? Jesus even mentions, is only one coming back? What about the other nine? So this prompts me to ask and to reflect on my life, and this is part of the examine. Am I one of the nine who is not coming back and giving thanks to the Lord for the good that he has done in my life? So we have to strive to be one of the one who comes back and gives thanks to God. So what about in our current liturgy? You know, in the Mass, we give thanks to God for redeeming us and for his sacrifice and for his many blessings. You know, the church teaches us that the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith. Well, did you know that Eucharist comes from the Greek word Eucharistia, which means thanksgiving? We offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. And so, sisters and brothers, if the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith, then we can conclude that giving thanks to God is also the source and summit of our faith the Eucharistia. And so giving thanks to God should be a priority in our lives. You know, there's a couple of great Old Testament prefigurations of the Eucharist, the Eucharistia, which we celebrate at every Mass. In Genesis 14, um, starting in chapter 18, we read the story of Abram, who meets the priest King Melchizedek. He, and Melchizedek is the king of Salem. 
And here's an interesting fact, Salem, where Abram went to offer his only son, Isaac, and also where he met the priest King Melchizedek is the same Jerusalem, where Jesus celebrated the Last Supper and offered himself as the only son of God as a sacrifice. And here, Jesus offered at the Last Supper bread and wine. So where do we see that every Sunday? In the Mass, right? Abram met the priest King Melchizedek at Jerusalem, who offered a sacrifice of bread and wine, a thanksgiving sacrifice for his victory over the four kings. Another prefiguration in the Old Testament is the Jewish sacrifice, which they call the Todah. That's T-O-D-A-H, the Todah sacrifice. This was a thanksgiving sacrifice, which consisted of an offering of bread and wine. And the offering was consumed by the participants, just as we consume our Eucharistia, our thanksgiving sacrifice in the Mass. The Catechism of the Catholic Church has a lot to say about thanksgiving, and I'll just cite a few examples from the Catechism. For instance, in paragraph 1148, it teaches, Inasmuch as they are creatures, these perceptible realities can become means of expressing the action of God who sanctifies men and the action of men who offer worship to God. The same is true of signs and symbols taken from the social life of man, Washing and anointing, breaking bread and sharing the cup can express the sanctifying presence of God and man's gratitude toward his creator. So it's teaching us that all of these activities that we have in worship and our signs and our symbols are all signs of our gratitude towards God, our creator. In paragraph 1334, we read, In the old covenant, bread and wine were offered in sacrifice among the first fruits of the earth as a sign of grateful acknowledgement to the Creator. Again, a sign of gratefulness to the Creator. Paragraph 1316, the Church teaches us, The Eucharist is a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Father, a blessing by which the Church expresses her gratitude to God for all of His benefits, for all that He has accomplished through creation, redemption, and sanctification. Eucharist means, first of all, thanksgiving. In paragraph 1418, we read, Because Christ himself is present in the sacrament of the altar, he is to be honored with the worship of adoration. To visit the blessed sacrament is a proof of gratitude, an expression of love, and a duty of adoration towards Christ our Lord. There's a lot packed in there. When we visit the Blessed Sacrament, it's proof of our gratitude and an expression of our love of God. In paragraph 2099, we read, It is right to offer sacrifice to God as a sign of adoration and gratitude. Every action done so as to cling to God in communion of holiness and thus achieve blessedness is a true sacrifice, a true sacrifice of gratitude for all that God has done for us. So you see, giving thanks to God seems to be a great practice based in Scripture and the teaching of the church. But is there more to thanksgiving than that? I'm involved in a mental health ministry in the parish where I work, St. Andrew in Rochester, Michigan. And in this ministry, we are studying the integration of the spiritual and the psychological development of the human person and how one affects the other. 
I have been enlightened to the psychological benefits of being a person of thanksgiving. It's not only good for the soul, as we see from Scripture and from the Psalms and from the teaching of the church, but it is also good for our mental well-being. In fact, the site, and I'll put a link to this uh, in the show notes, positivepsychology.com has an article which talks about the benefits of living a life of gratitude. And so I'd just like to talk about a couple of these to show that, you know, it's not just a religious thing and thanking God, but also the way the human person's mind is wired. Gratitude is very beneficial to us. So for instance, one of the areas where living a life of gratitude and offering thanks helps us is helps us in our emotional life. Living a life of gratitude, studies have shown, will make us happier, increases our psychological well-being, enlivens our positive emotions, will increase our self-esteem, and keeps suicidal thoughts at bay. Think about that. Living a life of gratitude really benefits us in so many ways. From a social perspective, living a life of gratitude, studies show, will make people like us more. It will improve our friendships. It will increase our social support networks. It will strengthen our family in times of stress. And, and here's one, some of you may really uh, like this one, living a life of gratitude will improve your romantic relationships. Living a life of gratitude has positive effects on our personality. It increases our optimism, increases our spiritualism, makes us more giving, and reduces our materialism. Living a life and offering thanksgiving is good for our career. It improves our effectiveness in our jobs, decreases our impatience with coworkers, improves our decision-making abilities, helps us find meaning in our work, and reduces employee turnover. Living a life of thanksgiving is good for our physical health. It decreases depressive symptoms. It decreases blood pressure. It will increase the frequency of our exercise and improves our overall physical health. And then what's really interesting in the process of recovery, people suffering with some kind of either physical ailments or mental uh, ailments, that studies have shown that when they can cultivate an attitude of gratitude, it helps in recovery, especially from substance abuse. And, and believe it or not, being thankful really helps improve your coronary health. And I think it's because what it does to your blood pressure and your stress and your anxiety. So I would just kind of like to wrap up a little bit by reading uh, from the book, Finding True Happiness by Father Robert Spitzer. He's a Jesuit priest. And he's written extensively on the psychological life, the spiritual life. And in this book, he talks about the importance of the prayer of gratitude. And I, I'm going to read from the book. He says, and he's talking about why did St. Ignatius feel that in the examined prayer, thanksgiving was such an important component. And Father Spitzer says, why is gratitude so important in recognizing divine love and moving toward it? We could begin with an old adage. I never met a person who was grateful and unhappy, or a person who was ungrateful and happy. The adage recognizes that people who take life for granted, who see nothing as favor or a blessing, generally focus on what they do not have 
And so they ultimately find themselves in a state of unhappiness, jealous of people who seem to have more, and resentful that they do not have it. Conversely, grateful people tend to move in the opposite direction. They recognize that they could have been far worse off than they are and feel grateful for what they have. They tend to take nothing for granted. Instead of being jealous or resentful, they tend to feel blessed and happy. Interestingly, the Latin term beatus means both blessed and happy. This correlation between gratitude and happiness may help explain why so many intelligent, gifted, privileged, and respected people are unhappy, while others who have much less are fulfilled and content. I, I thought that was uh, really insightful, this life of gratitude and the positive it effects it has on our psychological health, our physical well-being, and most importantly, on our spiritual well-being and our relationship with God. And so I'd like to end this uh, reflection on Thanksgiving. I've been reading a biography of Padre Pio, and it goes through all these descriptions of miracles and healings and, and some of the things and answered prayers when people would have him pray for them. And people would thank him. Thank you, Padre Pio, for curing me. He would always simply reply, don't thank me. Thank God. So, sisters and brothers, speaking of something for which I'm grateful, thanks for listening. Sisters and brothers, may the Lord grant you his peace. Hello, brothers and sisters. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Franciscan Dave podcast, a production of Tao Ministries. I am Deacon Jim Thibodeau, President of Tao Ministries. Our focus continues to be one of continuing the call of our Lord to St. Francis of Assisi to rebuild the Church. This has been the ongoing mission of the follower of St. Francis for the past 800 years, and it is through the building up of the individual living stones that the Church continues to be strengthened. You and I are those living stones. You can play a crucial role in this ministry. First, by encouraging your friends, family, and faith communities to subscribe and listen to the podcasts. And secondly, if the Holy Spirit so compels you, to offer financial support by clicking on the support link in the show notes. Franciscan Dave can be heard on over 20 podcast apps, including Google, Apple, Spotify, iHeart, or by visiting the Town Ministries website via the podcast tab. A link to the website is also included in the show notes available in your podcast app. Brothers and sisters, thank you for listening. God bless you, and may the Lord grant you his peace.